Why? You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why your biggest regret is probably the thing you didn't do, why the tallest mountain on Earth might not be what you think it is, and why search engines can only find about 1% of the entire internet. We originally ran these stories on May 29th, 2018, and they're so good, we remastered them just for you. Plus, stick around for a brand new recap segment at the end of today's episode to hear our fresh takes on all of today's stories, including some exciting brand new information about the dark web. Dun, dun, dun. But right now, let's satisfy some curiosity. Ashley, do you have any biggest regrets in life? No, every single decision I've ever made was the right one. That's the spirit. (laughs) Well, because we were curious about this and a number of studies show the same thing. The mistakes of inaction are what bother our brains the most, according to science. You can actually predict a curve of regret. Now, in the short term, your brain tends to focus on what might be called active mistakes, like spending your money on something risky when you're feeling pretty confident about it. So an active mistake might be putting a bet on a sports team that you're sure is going to win, for example. But as time goes by, most of those embarrassing choices you made tend to be forgotten, while the times that you did nothing start to loom much larger. Stanford psychologist Dr. Lewis Terman studied a group of people, nicknamed Terman's termites, over their lifetimes. And he found that when members of the group were in their 80s, their most common regrets were things like, I wish I'd gone to college and I wish I'd been more assertive. Regrets are also complicated by the ways our lives play out. So you can think of it in terms of your two different selves. We're going to get a little philosophical here. You can think of it in terms of your ought self, like I ought to have done something, versus your ideal self. Your ought self is your imagined future of how things are supposed to go. Maybe you picture yourself getting a stable job, getting married, raising children, retiring. You know, the stuff that might be expected of you. Your ideal self, on the other hand, is your imagined self who does what you really want to be doing. That person is a famous playwright or a professional surfer or a successful rocket scientist. Obviously, you have to find a balance between your ought and ideal self, but it's regrets about our ideal selves that really bother us. Researchers think this might be because ought self regrets are more immediate and in context, while ideal self regrets are less obtainable. So like if you regret not selling your house when you ought to have, you can look back and you can say, oh, I really should have done that. But you also have the context of knowing that, you know, you knew the housing market at the time wasn't really great. You understood your motivations at the time. Maybe you needed to keep it for a particular reason. And maybe you knew that not selling at that time, it didn't totally derail your life. So you can kind of look back and be like, oh, okay, that makes sense why I did that. So you're not going to regret it forever. But if you regret not becoming a famous stand-up comedian, You're just seeing that ideal part at the end of the tunnel. You're regretting that you never were up on stage in front of 10,000 people, but you're not thinking about the hours of getting up in front of crowds that are really small or way too drunk or getting ripped off by a club owner who doesn't want to pay you or having to drive to another city through a blizzard and having an erratic schedule and getting harassed by people who come see you. Cody, you you want to talk about something? I don't know what you're talking about. But there are all these really terrible things that you have to do to get to that ideal self. So it's a lot easier to regret not being famous up on stage when you don't think about all you would have had to do to get there in the first place. So that's a little bit about why you regret the things that you don't do. And it's just another reason to go for it. Yeah, that actually makes me realize when you asked me if there's anything I regretted in life, I was trying to think of all the things that I did wrong 
But now that I think about the things that I didn't do, there are a million of them. I can think of tons. It's really, yeah, that that is how the mind works. Exactly. All right, Cody, I know you know this. What is the tallest mountain in the world? Mordor. Mordor is not on the world. Oh, right. Then Mount Everest. A lot of people think that, but Mount Everest isn't necessarily the tallest mountain in the world. Mount Everest is tall at just over 29,000 feet or 9,000 meters. That is about 20 times as tall as the Empire State Building. So you are totally almost right. You could actually make the case that other mountains in the world are taller because it all depends on how you measure its height, right? Right now, a mountain's height refers to how far it rises above sea level. But sea level varies. It varies across the world by up to 100 meters due to currents and gravitational variations. But that's not a huge variation. The biggest problem with Mount Everest is that it stands on a plateau that's roughly 16,500 feet high. So it's like a person getting their height measured while they wear heels. It's not really fair. Measure Everest from the plateau to the summit, and it's not as tall as Alaskan Mountain Denali, previously Mount McKinley, which stands at more than 20,000 feet. And what about mountains partially underwater? If you measure the Hawaiian volcano Mauna Kea from its underwater base to its peak, it's more than 30,000 feet tall. And of all the mountains in the world, the summit of Ecuador's Mount Chimborazo is farthest away from the center of the Earth. Then again, it gets a boost from being near the equator because, as we all know, the Earth bulges at the equator. It's not perfectly round. The moral of the story is that there's no perfectly fair way to measure mountains. What do you think? Or are we making a mountain out of a molehill? All right, Ashley, are you familiar with the deep web? I am. Have you ever surfed it? Well, anytime I check my email, right? Oh, because you know what the deep web is. I do. Well, today, if you don't know what the deep web is, listener, you're about to learn about it. Here we go. All right, now listen, as a whole, the internet contains at least four and a half billion websites that have been indexed by search engines, at least according to one Dutch researcher. That is a huge number, but it barely scratches the surface of what's really out there. The rest of the internet is known as the deep web. And according to some estimates, that's 400 to 500 times larger than the surface internet. Most of the deep web, as you mentioned, Ashley, is just emails, social media profiles, subscription sites, and stuff that you need to fill out a form to access. So just stuff that's not, again, indexed by search engines. But because the deep web is hidden from search engines, some people use it for more nefarious purposes. Ooh. That's the dark web. The dark web is a very tiny portion of the deep web, and that is made up of encrypted sites. Almost everything there is anonymous, or at least tries to be. Encrypted sites don't have DNS and IP addresses that usually make websites identifiable. And to access a site on the dark web, users often have to use encrypting software that masks their IP addresses, making the users really hard to identify too. The dark web is what people are talking about when you hear about the Silk Road, that online marketplace for illegal drugs that was shut down in 2013. There are other sites on the dark web that provide resources for other criminals, and even accessing sites on the dark web can set off red flags at the FBI. Fun fact, Tor is the most popular software for making and accessing dark websites, and Tor was originally created by the U.S. Navy. Even today, Tor is funded by the U.S. government. Wow. Yeah, and now you know. Hey, we're back. It's 2021, and that means it's time to do a recap of what we learned today. Well, we learned that your biggest regret in life might be the thing you didn't do, as opposed to the mistakes you made. You do regret the things you did do in the short term, what researchers call active mistakes, but usually you forget about those things later. Regrets about our ideal selves are really what bother us. 
Just remember that the thing you didn't do might have actually been really hard. And maybe the fact you never moved to Los Angeles to try to be a movie star is really just a blessing in disguise. I have regretted not moving to Los Angeles to try to be a movie star. Have you really? Oh, yeah. Around 2011, uh, three things happened at the same time. I got laid off from my job at the time. I broke up with a long-term girlfriend. And there was one other thing that happened. But basically, I, I kind of had no like ties to Chicago. And I was like, all right, time to pick up a move. And I applied for a ton of jobs out there and I was going to do the thing. But I had also just been diagnosed with diabetes and it was a pre-existing condition and it was before that was covered. Yeah. So I literally couldn't move. I had to get a job immediately or I wouldn't be able to afford to live. So, uh, but again, if I had made that move, come on, what are the chances? I'd be Brad Pitt. Let's not, let's be honest with ourselves. All right. And Hey, now I'm at discovery. So what the heck? You'd just be saying bro a lot more. That's all. <laughs> I'd have a better tan. <laughs> Is there anything you didn't do that you regret? No, I live life through rose-colored glasses. I really feel like every decision I've ever made is a good one. There's no way that's possibly true, but that's that's how I see my life. And you know what? I am blissfully unaware. <laughs> Perfect. We also learned that the tallest mountain in the world isn't necessarily Mount Everest. That mountain does rise the highest above sea level, but it also stands on a plateau that's about 16,500 feet high. So it kind of cheats a little bit. If you measured it from the plateau to its summit, it wouldn't be as tall as the Alaskan mountain Denali or the volcano Mauna Kea in Hawaii, which is more than 30,000 feet tall, but is partly underwater. And the summit of Ecuador's Mount Chimborazo is farthest away from the center of the Earth. So, you know, they're all winners in their own way. All the mountains are the tallest mountain. Everyone. That's not true. Turns out there is a mountain high enough. Aww. In fact, there's several. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week when we talk about whether there's a valley low enough. <laughs> there you go. Or a river wide enough. You get the idea. And we learned that the deep web is the 99% of the internet that you can't Google. But most of that is just emails, social media profiles, and stuff you need to fill out a form to access. A very minuscule portion of the deep web is known as the dark web, where you can find some more nefarious sites like the Silk Road, which is the illegal drug marketplace that got shut down in 2013. Since everything on the dark web is encrypted, you need to use a special browser like Tor to access it. So you probably don't have to worry about accidentally stumbling across something like that when you're browsing online. So a couple of clarifications from the story. So we mentioned that Tor is funded by the U.S. government. It is primarily funded by the U.S. government, but not entirely. They do take donations from individuals and there are other major contributors, including other governments, actually. But the second more important point that I wanted to make is that the dark web is not all nefarious. So first of all, it's a huge resource for journalists, for sources to stay safe. So the Guardian, for example, they have the Guardian Secure Drop, which is literally an Onion site that they've set up so that people can independently and anonymously contribute sources without being tracked in case they live in, let's say, like a country with an oppressive government or they're trying to be censored. And there are multiple news organizations on the deep web that have sites that you can access. Facebook actually has a Onion site, which means that nothing is tracked, which is really funny and weird to think about because I don't think everyone necessarily associates Facebook with 
major privacy, you know, but it, there is a fully private, secure way to access it. Again, makes it available in countries that are actively trying to block it, which helps people share information, get organized in case there's, you know, an oppressive regime. So there is a lighter side to the dark web that I wanted to point out because our story did, of course, focus on, you know, everyone thinks Silk Road and bad things happen, but there's some weird silver lining. People are weird. Humans are weird. Yeah. It's a strange, dark internet. Today's writers were Ruben Westmus and May Rice. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. I know what your biggest regret this week is going to be. It's going to be if you don't join us again tomorrow for a brand new episode of Curiosity Daily to learn something new in just a few minutes. So, you know, do that. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>